0: Hey, I'm not Doug, of course. My name is Ryan Toller, and I have the absolute pleasure of running the college ministry here at the chapel, and it's great to be back. I apparently didn't say anything heretical last time I was here, so they invited me back, which is wonderful, uh, And but I love my job. I get to work with college students week in and week out, and it's funny to me that when I graduated college and CFC came and offered me the position, I thought, oh, college students are kind of scary, to be honest. I'm not, I'm not sure if I can do this. And they're like, ah, stop being dumb, Ryan. Yes, you can. And so I said yes. And two years later, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And so it's really cool how the Lord knew me better than I knew me. Um, but my job today is not to give my college students the warm fuzzies inside, which I see a couple of them in the room. My job is to open up the scriptures and allow the scriptures to change my life. And I hope your life as well. So, would you uh, determine in your heart, not just to consider to listen, but that you would be willing to allow the words to change how you live tomorrow, today, this week, next week? Because any, I recognize any time I align my, my life with this book, I become more like Jesus. And that's what I, that's what I want to be. I want to be a man more like Jesus. So, Uh, Excited to be with you today. Uh, If you've been with us the past weeks, you have known that we have been walking through Ephesians 1, looking at this blessed fest, a a festival of blessing that the Lord gives me, that the Lord gives you upon belief in his son and recognition of your sin. And uh, we are lavished with all these spiritual blessings. And because of these spiritual blessings coming our way, we should then in turn bless the Lord for giving them to us. But that's not all. We should, uh, upon receiving them, bless him, but also be about the blessing of other people and the process of it. And so we've been going through uh, Ephesians 1 all the way through verse 11 now, hitting, we call it car fish and name them all. But the reality is if I tried to name them all, I'd forget one and I'd be embarrassed. So I'm not going to try. But today is one of my favorites as we're going to just go ahead and get started in Ephesians 1 verse 11. Uh, This blessing is... Well, that ruined it. So, Ephesians 11. Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. And so, we see this wonderful, amazing blessing that we're talking about today is an inheritance. And, uh personally i haven't had much interaction with an inheritance because i'm still kind of young and dumb but i had my first interaction a couple months ago with my dad i remember uh, doug was talking about one time how parents should have their will set up just in case something bad happens for their kids and so i went to my dad and i said dad what have you, do you have a will what's the have you have you made one just in case something happens and he said oh yeah i made one i said oh yeah Tell me about it. Like, what, what words are you using? How do you divide it? I'm just curious. I, I've never seen one before. And he said, Ryan, don't worry. I, I gave it all to your older brother. And I thought, really? Well, I appreciate you, you living by what the Old Testament talked about, how the father would give the largest portion to the eldest son. But my dad went a step further. He not only gave the largest portion, he gave everything. And so I thinking, okay, that's fine. But then he said, don't worry, Ryan. Corey is gonna be the distributor. And I thought, really? The distributor? Do you know your oldest son? You see, Corey is a internet ad marketer's dream, okay? He'll be scrolling through Facebook, and he'll see a $100 light-up iPhone charger, and he'll buy it. I'm like, Corey, why would you buy such an expensive iPhone charger? And he'll look at me and say, because it has lights. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And so I'm thinking, Dad, by the time this inheritance is to be distributed, there won't be anything left. I might have some cool iPhone chargers, but I don't know about anything else. <laughs> but the reality for me is that right now, I'm not an heir. And me and dad laughed about it, and he said, yeah, I needs to go back and change it. So it's just a funny thing, but I'm not an heir. And what's true for me right now is also true for everyone in this room in terms of this inheritance. There was a moment in all of our lives where we were separated from this wonderful thing we're talking about, right? Upon entering a life on this earth, you're separated from the Father because of your sin. And and this separation looks at God and says, no, thank you, I'd like to do what I wanna do. And that causes a consequence, and that consequence is being separated from God for eternity. But God was not content to leave us there. As he sent his son, and now of belief in his son and recognition of your sin, Doug talked about a couple weeks ago, you can be adopted, right? You can be made a part of the family of God to the point where you don't just have, you don't just have the best dad ever. You remember how a couple of weeks ago, we said we actually had the worst dad ever, but now upon belief in Jesus, we have the best dad ever, and he had that glass. You don't just have the best dad ever. You have a wonderful inheritance coming your way, which is awesome. And so we're asking the question of, what is this inheritance? Who gets it? And so uh, the first thing about this inheritance is, this is an inheritance that gives you the righteousness of Christ. It grants to you the very righteous life of Jesus today and we know Jesus came to this world and he lived perfectly and this perfect life qualified him for this perfect death but this righteousness we get asked the question of what it is and so this is a righteousness that was made possible because of him it was made possible because of him Because what's true is, again, he lived this perfect life. And if he had misstepped one bit in this perfect life, it would not have qualified him to die the death that he died. One that allows me and you to be brought back in relationship to the Father, right? But what's true of this, we see in 2 Corinthians as it says, He made him... The Father made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And we love this second line, that we now have the righteousness of of Christ, that he paid it for us. But do we recognize the cost of the first line, right? That although it's a free gift for me and for you, it cost him dearly. That he would bear the weight of all my dirt and all of our dirt on his shoulders, and to the point where the father would have to turn his face away. What a cost. And I've come to see the gifts that I've received are easier to take for granted because I never earned them. And I can be prone to take this wonderful gift of righteousness for granted. Because I didn't earn it. But what's true is I never could earn it, right? But it cost him a lot. But he still bought it. He still purchased it. But not only that, it's not just a righteousness We see in John 14, it's not just a righteousness that he made possible. Jesus is talking, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so we see it was made possible because of him, but it is also offered to you through him. That he extends it. And I see a difference here. He He didn't just make it possible, but he extends it. He didn't just buy it. He has an open hand for you to take it. And I thought, what if he, what a, How terrible would it be if he bought this righteousness to be given to us, but never extended it? That's like a dad buying his son a new car and saying, son, I got this new car for you. He jumps outside, he's so excited, and then the dad never gives him the keys. The gift exists, but the boy can't experience it. My younger brother loves sweatshirts. He has like 100 of them, and they're pretty cool. But that's as if I buy Drew a sweatshirt, and I'm like, Drew, this is yours. And he gives me a big hug, but I say, but I actually want to hang it on the wall. It's a gift that is, exists. He can see it, but he can't have it, right? But that's not what God did. He made it possible, but he offers it to you. And we all know that, that this acceptance is only through him. There's no other way to attain this righteousness. But that's not all we see in Romans chapter eight. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. So it's not just made possible. It's not just offer. It actually breaks the bondage of sin by him as well. Where now you have a new master. The way you once lived, you no longer have to live anymore. The, The chains that bound you to self and sin are now broken because of what he did. Because the father looks at you and sees Jesus's righteousness. What, what a wonderful inheritance. What a wonderful inheritance. <clears throat> it would be as if uh, the gavel has been slammed, you've committed a heinous crime, and you're on death row. They don't do electric chair, but let's just say they have an electric chair, you're sitting in it, and the switch is about to be pulled. And right before the switch is about to be pulled, a man walks in, and he says that, that seed of guilt that seat of sin that you're sitting in, I'll sit there. And, and the righteous, the blameless life that, that I walked in to this room with, you can walk out with. And just, I'm just imagining me sitting in this chair of death with this gift. There's, I, I know there's a chance for me to say, this isn't real. There's no way this could happen. I, I can't earn that righteousness that you walked in the room in but he still extends it to you. And upon accepting it and walking out down the hall, I am walking out a blameless man. What a gift. While he is sitting in the seat of guilt and sin, which we see happened on the cross. But the wonder of this story is is he died on that cross, bore the weight of my sin, but proved he was the son of God by raising again. And his righteousness overcame death to the point where now the father looks at him and sees me. And so, I ask the question of, uh, so what? I run a college group, and part of the ministry is we, we have life groups, and the life group that I leave meets at my house uh, once a week, and we're reading through a book on the spiritual disciplines. And we are training ourselves to ask the question of, so what? Too often in my life, I will hear what's true, think, that's cool, but never do anything in light of it. But the question of, so what, pushes me to say, Here's what I've heard, so what? And what am I going to do about it? Here's what I'm going to do. And so in light of a wonderful, rich righteousness of Christ that's been given to you, what do we do about it? Well, the next verse in Ephesians is going to tell us. So we'll start back in verse 11. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. So what? To the end, that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of his glory. So What? Praise his name. Would you be about the praising of his name? One of my favorite songs is Before the Throne. It's kind of an old hymn. And uh, I I would sing it to you, but I think you guys would feel so uncomfortable that you would join in to help me, you know? So I won't sing it. But my favorite part of of the song says, because a sinless savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. And that's the righteousness of Christ, that the Father would look at the Son and pardon me because of it. And does anyone know the next line? Hallelujah, which simply means praise his name. Hallelujah, praise the one risen Son of God. The song gets it, right? You have received this wonderful, rich inheritance of the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, hallelujah, praise his name. Ephesians gets it. You have this wonderful, rich inheritance. And in verse 13, therefore, praise his name. Be to the praise of his glory. But do we get it? Scripture gets it. song gets it. But do we? Too often I'll hear of the righteousness of Christ and I'll think, that's cool. But I never take the next step to say thank you. And the reality is, is I never could earn this wonderful righteousness. I didn't deserve it, and I I could do nothing to earn it. And He still handed it to me. What an inheritance! What a gift! That too often I say that's cool, but I'm very rarely will I say thank you. And so, in light when we run across the righteousness of Christ, would we be about the praise of His glory? And so, this is what we see. This is. This is an inheritance that gives you the righteousness of Christ, but that's not all. This inheritance is bigger than you may think because it doesn't just give you the righteousness of Christ, it also gives you the heavenly home of Christ. And when I think about heaven, I have some thoughts that, that come into my mind that get me excited. And I actually wanna pose the question to you guys. When you think of heaven, what excites you? Just shout it out. Say it again. No tears. No tears. No pain. Yes, so true. Peace, presence of God. God. Many friends, friends, that's right. Oh, all of those things are such wonderful, wonderful reasons. Those things get me pumped for heaven. But if I can be honest with you, for most of my life, I have looked forward to heaven due to what it will be without, right? Right? According to Revelation, we know it will be without sin, suffering, and, and pain. And those things are wonderful to not have. And I truly believe the longer we're on the world, the more we yearn for what is to come. And that's true for the earth. The earth has been around for a long time, and it says it groans, right? But I thought, why, why am I excited about heaven because of what it will be without? Oh, I think there is more excitement in terms of what it will be with. A couple years ago, my my great-grandmother died, I think at the age of 96. And she died with a a wonderful mind. Her mind was still intact, and it was a great gift for me to be raised knowing my great-grandmother. And we called her Mamaw. And when Mamaw died, I was having, I was just trying to process my emotions on a paper and I was writing down my thoughts and the paper turned into a a poem and my students will make fun of me for that. And then I I sent the poem to my mom to maybe help her as she dealt with the the grief. And guess who my mom sent it to? Everyone, right? And so they asked me to read this poem at her funeral. And I'm not going to read it because it's kind of embarrassing. But at the end, I, I Ask, I was asking this question of, Lord, I, I wish you would let me have a couple more minutes with Mama so that I could ask her how great heaven is. And I was struck by the fact that if the Lord was to grant me that, that gift of talking to Mama while she's in heaven, and I was to ask her, Mamaw, how great is heaven? She would look at me and say, Ryan, that's the wrong question. The question is not how great is heaven. The question is how great is he? And that is why heaven is so great is because he is there. That you will be in a state of unending joy. Why? Because he is there. You ever felt joyful before? Imagine that times infinity and that's what heaven's going to be like. Why? Because he is there. And and the reality that there will be no sin, there will be no pain, no suffering is so great. But what is greater is there is him in full and I was, I was thankful to, to be able to, to consider that and, and think about that. And, and so there'll be unending praise. But there's this guy named Dan Schaefer. And at me growing up, again, I always thought what was heaven, gonna, heaven and hell going to be like. And uh, Dan has these words that, that really connect with me. And maybe they're similar with you. And why we look forward to heaven. And he says, Ever since I heard my first lesson about hell as a child in Sunday school, I've been afraid of it. My teachers were vividly descriptive. Flames, weeping, torment, and darkness were easy for a little boy to imagine. When faced with the choice between spending an eternity in misery or going to heaven, let's just say it wasn't a tough call. On the other hand, I wasn't all that excited about heaven either. I'm ashamed to admit it. But I had unwittingly concluded that heaven was the lesser of two evils. Don't get me wrong. I took great comfort in the knowledge that Christ had paid for my sins. Yet I remained more grateful that I wasn't going to hell than thrilled about the hope of heaven. It was like finding out you didn't have to have your gums scraped after all. Instead, you gotta watch the grass grow. It seemed to be a choice between eternal punishment and eternal boredom. Which is like? Boredom? That's kind of a strange thought. But growing up, I had this thought of, I'd read that passage in Revelation where the angels are saying, holy, holy, holy. And I'm thinking, and they're doing that for eternity. And I'm thinking, that's boring, boring, boring. And I know that's a false theology because singing praises to them for eternity is way better than anything else, right? But I was still in this bad mindset and I didn't see how great heaven is is because of him being there. And so there'll be unending joy and there'll be unending praise. And, I, and again, I thought, praise? That sounds like I'm singing in a stadium and there's just gonna be a big choir. That's what I saw on the flannel graph growing up. There was this big choir in a stadium. But I'm not convinced the heavenly home of Christ will be a stadium. And I would point to Genesis for that. If we consider Adam is, uh, is the, Adam's the human who has the closest picture of heaven before sin in the fall, right? What God created was paradise, and it's probably the closest thing we have to what it will be like. And if we think about Adam, was Adam singing by a brook for the whole time? No. What was Adam doing? He was working, right? God had a desire that his creation would work in his creation, that humans would play a part in what he had masterfully formed. But that's not just it. God didn't just just, uh, hope or desire for his creation to work in creation. Think about how many trees he created in terms of what Adam could eat. Did he create two trees, one to eat from and one not to eat from? No. He created tons, hundreds, if not thousands. And what does that point to? that God desired for us to enjoy his creation, right? And so I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna be surprised if the, the heavenly home of Christ looks similar to what we do today. That we get to enjoy what he created without sin, suffering, and shame, because he is there, but we also get to work in it. And so this is why I get excited about heaven. There's a There's a story of a, of an elderly lady who is soon to be passing and she is meeting with her pastor and she's just going over how she wants the funeral to go. And she says, I like to have a Bible in my right hand in the casket. So people know I love Jesus and I love the scriptures. And he said, that's great. And then they went through all the logistical things and he was about to get up and she said, pastor, I also want something else. Uh, if that's okay. And he sat back down, she said, I want a Bible in my right hand, but I want a fork in my left hand and the pastor said do I need to call a nurse and she said no and she explained all my life I've been going to, to luncheon, luncheons on the lawn for church and potlucks for church and every time I'm eating my food someone will lean in and say hold your fork and she learned hold your fork meant, uh, the best is yet to come the better part of the meal is on the way that red velvet cake that you love it's coming soon that, that banana pudding that you're a fan of it's going to be here don't throw your fork away hold it and she looked at the pastor and she said, uh, I want to hold the fork because I truly believe the best is yet to come. And so she passed. She's sitting in her uh, casket as she's gone. And people are walking by and people are kind of like uh, whispering, someone needs to take that fork out. Why does she have a fork in her hand? And they didn't say anything. And then the pastor stood up and said, I've, I'm going to answer your question on why she's holding the fork. She not only believed the best is what, yet to come, but she wanted you to know that as well. And what a good picture that the best is yet to come. This heavenly home of Christ is yet to come. And it is so great. It is so wonderful because he is there. And so we ask the question of so what? What do we do with this reality of a wonderful heavenly home of Christ awaiting for us? So what? Would you live accordingly? Would you base your life off of what is coming? And I asked the question, well, how does what is coming change what I do today? Would you consider a, a soldier who's in the midst of a war and he's dodging between trees and he's jumping into foxholes and all of a sudden the Lord pops up to him and the Lord looks at him and says, soldier, you're gonna make it home. You're gonna raise your kids. You're gonna be healthy after this war. What's that gonna push the soldier to do? He's gonna fight differently, right? The, the way at which he was living in this battle is gonna change. I'm thinking if I'm the soldier, I'm putting Rambo lines under my eyes, a bunch of guns on my back, and I'm walking into the enemy camp because the sooner this war's over, the sooner I get to go home, right? <laughs> and I asked, my, I asked my wife, I said, babe, what would you do if you were the soldier and the Lord appeared to you? And she said, I think I'd still hide behind the tree to be honest. <laughs> but what's true is upon hearing this from the Lord, We would fight differently because we know what's coming. And that's the truth about this wonderful heavenly home of Christ and this inheritance is that we fight differently because of it when we consider it. And when we don't consider it, maybe we don't think about it. There's a high chance of some things happening. First, there's a chance you will be scared instead of at peace. When you don't consider the heavenly home that's to come, you'll be scared and that soldier, upon not receiving a word from the Lord, is going to be scared. He's going to be jumping between trees, just like he always was. He's going to be thinking, "Am I going to make it the next thirty minutes?" But upon the Lord's revelation to him, he now can walk out from the tree in peace. And for those that don't know what is to come, that don't have an idea of what the heavenly home is, there's a high chance they will be scared. They they won't know what's coming. They'll be afraid of what happens after death. They'll be afraid of how they die. But when you know, you can be at peace. What else? If you don't consider, there's also a chance that you will be worrying instead of trusting. Uh, It's striking to me, and I've done this before as well, but... Uh, a lot of times, in terms of worry and anxiousness, I, I hear a lot of people tying, including i 've done it before, tying anxiousness and worry to ourselves so if if someone 's talking about what they 're worried about there 's there's a lot of times a sentence like, "Oh, but I just worry a lot or i 'm just an anxious person and and we tie these two things to our hearts, and yet scripture tells us don 't be anxious in anything, and what we 're so so uh, what we 're so Easy and or what's so easy for us to tie to ourselves? Scripture says, "Cut." And what does this? How does this affect the eternal life to come? When you worry, you look at the eternal life to come and you say, "God, you're in control of that." But I'm not so sure you're in control of this, right? I know heaven will be like that. I know you've you've planned and you've done all these amazing things for me to enjoy heaven when I get there because you're there, but I think you might have forgotten what's in front of me. For some reason, my college group is on a chess fad. They're all playing chess. I don't know why. And it would be as if a, a chess grandmaster walks through the door. He sets up two chairs. He sets the board down. He sits, and I sit, and he says, let's play. Who's your money on? Grandmaster? That's where my money would be on. But, and then we play, and we win, or, and he wins, but none of us would look and say, you won because you're a grandmaster. No, the chess master won because he was in control of every move of the game. He anticipated when I moved the pawn up or whatever piece is. He, he, he was in control. And yet we look at, sometimes we're prone to look at Christ and say, you're in control because you're Jesus, but I don't know about right now. And so when you don't consider the heavenly life to come, there's a high chance you'll be worrying. But when you do, he's in control of that, so he must be in control of this, and you can change the way at which you're seeing this hard circumstance in your life. But there's another one. If we don't consider what is to come, there's a chance we will also be searching instead of blessing. I know for me, before Jesus, I was grabbing hold to everything that I could in order to uh, allow me to enjoy this life. And all those things were fleeting. But uh, after Jesus, what happened? I am able to put those, uh, put those things aside and the time I spent searching for myself, I actually get a shot at blessing other people so that they will look up and see this wonderful, habit, this wonderful inheritance of the life to come man, I can't wait. And we should we should for sure live accordingly. And so we know this is an inheritance that gives you the very righteousness of Christ. It gives you the heavenly home of Christ, but it's even bigger. But for most of my life, I stopped at these two things. I, I considered the gospel to be these two pieces of the inheritance, that I would believe in Jesus in recognition of my sin, and according to John 3:16, I would have eternal life in heaven. And those are wonderful, amazing things, but that is only part of the inheritance. And uh, the next verse in Ephesians is actually going to give us another hint in what the rest of the inheritance is. So let's pick back up in verse 13. "In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation having also believed you were sealed in him with who the holy spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view of redemption of god's own possession to the praise of his glory this is the the next part of the inheritance the holy spirit who is given as a pledge another word for that a down payment And this is so wonderful. Why? Because that eternal life in heaven that you're gonna live after death can actually be lived today. By who? The Spirit. That the the wonderful eternal life to come can be known today. What in the world? That is an inheritance. And we know that heaven is so great because he is there, but now earth is so great because he is where? Here. Here that he resides in me. Man, that can't be beat. <sighs> when I graduated high school, uh, I took a gap year and I studied at a Bible school in Holsbybrun, Sweden. And all we did for a year was study the Bible. There was 17 different nations represented, about seven seventy students, one of the best years of my life. And the guy who started this Organization. His name was Major Ian Thomas, and he was a major in World War II, and and he speaks on this matter. and I love one of his quotes as he says, "The life he Jesus, the life he lived, qualified him for the death he died." And we know that Jesus always this life that he lived was always under the instruction of the Father. He says it in Scripture: "I do nothing off of my own will, but always what is the instruction of the Father." And he did he he did it perfectly. And if he misstepped at any point in this wonderful uh, life it wouldn't have qualified him for the death that he died for me and for you. But because he lived this life, it qualified him for this death, a death that if you believe in, you can be reconciled to the Father and have eternal life. But that's only part of the gospel. It's not just the life he lived qualified him for the death he died, but it's the death he died that qualifies you for the life he lived. So it's not just that eternal life in heaven that you can have. You actually get to step into the very life of Jesus, which was always under the instruction of the Father. And now you can listen to the instruction of the Father by the Holy Spirit, right? That's the manner at which you can live the very life of Christ. And this is the third part of the inheritance. Uh, And Galatians 2.20 points to this, that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ. The manner that Christ lived, I now can live based off of the Holy Spirit. And this is the third part. It's not just the righteousness of Christ. It's not just the heavenly home of Christ. It is also the earthly life of Christ that now I can be under the instruction of the Father by not just who he gives me but what he gives me what an inheritance what a wonderful gift that no matter what I walk through I have been equipped I have been made ready because Jesus was as well There's a verse in, in John that about this that kind of makes me uncomfortable It's one of the most uncomfortable verses I've ever read and it says this this is Jesus talking. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Does this make anyone else uncomfortable? That Jesus would say, I, I can do the very things that he did, maybe even greater. I'm thinking, Jesus, I think you messed up once. But no, he didn't. Why did he say it? Because he meant it. How does he mean it? Because he desires to live through you, now, today, tomorrow. That is his hope. That is his wish. And imagine how terrible it would have been if, God, if Jesus died on that cross, offered you salvation, and then went back up to heaven, but didn't send the Holy Spirit. In the words of the major, he says, that leaves you equipped for heaven, but pretty hopeless for earth, right? But he didn't leave you hopeless for earth. He gave you someone to empower you to live the very life of Jesus, What a gift. And so, I ask the question of, so what? What do we do with the reality that me and you have been given this wonderful inheritance, this wonderful earthly life of Jesus by the Holy Spirit residing in me? So what? Here's the so what. That you would let him live. That you'd let him live through you. And you might ask the question of, how do I do that? Well, I'm still young and dumb, and I'm still learning it. But at CIU, which is the college I graduated from, we played ultimate Frisbee all the time. And there was this guy uh, who played with us. His name was Micah. And Micah would always win. No matter what, he would always come on top. And it was ridiculous. And I would get so angry at Micah that I could never beat him because we were always on separate teams. And But there was a moment I began to understand what it was like for Christ to live through me. Because I'm, I'm putting on my backpack ready to walk off angry because Micah, of course, beat me. And, I, I'm, and people, I usually show up happy and leave angry because of him. And, I, and I'm putting it on. I'm getting ready to go back up to my dorm. And the Holy Spirit reminded me that Christ is in me. And if Christ lived 2,000 years ago, and we know according to scripture that he was tempted in every way that I am tempted, including anger. If Christ said no to anger, which we know he did. The reality is, is Christ is not just a guy who lived 2,000 years ago. Christ is a guy who lives today through me, so guess what I can say no to? Anger, right? But the very life that Christ lived, I can play a part in and say no to anger. And so, from that moment, I decided, I'm gonna let Christ live on this field. Because what was true before this was Ryan lived on this field. A guy who showed up happy and always left angry. And so for the next months, you know how many times I had to remind myself to let him live. Let Christ live. Let him live. It was a lot. It was a whole lot. Anytime Micah would embarrass me or make this awesome pass and my team would lose, I would continue to remind myself to let Christ live. And do you know what happened? What happened? I actually stopped having to say it as much. That Christ became a commonplace on that field. And, and, and instead of getting angry at Micah, my heart began to change to actually want to bless Micah, to encourage Micah when he did something cool. And it's such a simple thing, but it was such a big moment for my life as I recognized what it was like to allow Jesus on the field and, what it, and how that affected my life walking out. I was on the way back from a wedding uh, last weekend and I got to a gas station midnight. I wanted to get home. I was pulling out uh, of the gas station and I saw this lady putting bags in the trash and I felt this pulling in my heart to go tell her about Jesus and hand her $20. Was it from the Lord? Was it just my weird tired thinking at midnight? I don't know. I, I think it was from the Lord cause I felt this pulling. And so I, I went over, rolled the window down, said, I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, there's a, but I want to give you this. And there's a guy who I believe in. He's changed my life. His name is Jesus. He loves you and wants to do the same thing. And we had a couple words and I rolled up the window and drive and drove away. And why do I say that? Because I wanted Christ to live as I was driving. And say it wasn't, say it was just my tired thinking, a weird thing Ryan did. What's the loss here? Just 20 bucks on my part and she heard about Jesus. And I don't, I don't know what happened. But I, I don't say this to be, oh, great Ryan. Because the reality is, is I let Ryan live a whole lot. Like just last weekend, I was getting my hair cut. And it was really awkward. I'd never seen this lady before. We didn't talk basically the whole time. But in the middle of me sitting here, I thought I felt this pull to ask her how COVID had affected her, her life to then lead in how Jesus has changed my life. And you know what I kept telling myself? Uh, it's kind of awkward. I'll wait for her to speak. Uh, this is her first time seeing me. I probably need to let her know my face before I tell her about Jesus. I haven't even asked about her family. Uh, She doesn't even know I'm a believer, so I need to kind of throw that in to where I'm from before I can let Christ live through me to tell her how Jesus has changed my life. And in that moment, in that chair, in that store Ryan lived, not Christ. And And what's true for my failure points to, I think, a reality for all of us. And that is we have a tendency to turn a wonderful divine inheritance into an allowance. An inheritance is given in full. And we know scripture says we've been given everything we need to life and godliness according to the Holy Spirit. And I think it's referring to the scriptures as well. And yes, the inheritance is, is in part to come. But in, it is in full for everything we need. And so I don't have to uh, earn my way to let Christ live through me because an inheritance is given in full but we know an allowance is earned in part and as I'm sitting in this as I'm sitting in this uh haircut place I'm thinking well she's gotta know me I gotta let her know about Jesus before I gotta ask about her family and I was trying to do all these things in order for Christ to live through me And I think this principle carries with our sin. That upon seeing and recognition of my sin, I'll turn around and I'll turn an inheritance into an allowance and saying, oh, I gotta do these chores to get back in good graces with God. I gotta... I got to read my bible for a couple months, not sin for all these months, and these are all good things, but and I got to keep doing these chores in order to achieve being pleasing to the lord, but that is taking an inheritance and turning it into an allowance. Because an inheritance is given in full upon recognition of my sin, I turn around and there's no earning of his pleasure. He's right there ready to forgive me. But an inheritance isn't just earned. It is also meant to be used to bless other people. Just imagine your parents come to you and they say, we have a $5 million inheritance for you when we pass. And, and we'll just say they pass and that $5 million is given to you and you take it all and gamble it away. If your parents could come back, they'd be pretty displeased with you, right? Why? Because whether they said it or not, they actually had an intention of how you were to use the inheritance. They wanted you to pay off your mortgage, to, to give your kids a college phone that would pay for their college, to put money into retirement, to give to the church, to bless people in need. They have an intention of how you use the inheritance. And so does the giver of this one. He desires for you to use it to bless other people. Man. But a lot of times we can, we can use it for comfort where I have this wonderful inheritance, this heavenly home in uh, in heaven, and so I'll set it aside, and I'll live the way I want, talk the way I want, go to where I want. Christ doesn't have to be a commonplace on my tongue, but that's not how Jesus desired for you to use this inheritance. Not for my comfort, but actually for his glory. Man, what a wonderful inheritance this can't be beat that it's not just the righteousness of christ which is so amazing it's also the heavenly home of christ which is so amazing but it's also the earthly life of christ and so today i want to ask you would you let him live would you let him live in all parts of your life chris would you let him live in your workplace when you step in, that the people you work with would look at you and see Jesus. Drew, would, would you let him live no matter where you go? That whether it's in school or in a dorm room, that he would be the means at which your life is lived out. It changes everything. So often I have this thought of I gotta roll up my sleeves and show them how I love them. And yes, there's a part of our life where we need to set disciplines and, and engage with that, but he desires to live his life through you. What an inheritance. So I wanna, I wanna close as the same way we began in reading Ephesians as the band comes back up. Would you just reread this verse to say, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. We're about to sing a song, and I love teaching because I get to say what song's our favorite. Um, And we're about to sing before the throne. And before we, as we sing, would you consider this inheritance? And, And not just consider, but would you take the next step to thank him? Let me pray. Jesus, we love you. And we are so, so immensely grateful for the wonderful, wonderful inheritance you have given me and you have given the people in this room who believe in you. We could not earn it. There's no ounce of us that deserved it. Yet you still extended it to us. What an inheritance. Would we not be so prone to consider the righteousness of your son given to us a cool thing, but rather would we we instead praise your name because of it? Would we not look at the heavenly life, the heavenly uh, home of Christ to come and think, well, that's nice then, but would we recognize it compels us to live differently now? And would we not see this world as one where you left us alone, but actually you provided a helper? We needed you to attain salvation and we need you as we walk in it. Lord, we love you. In your name.